You're listening to Upside Down Podcast. This is Lindsay Wallace. And I'm Kayla Craig. I'm Patricia Taylor. And I'm Elisa Molina. Upside Down Podcast is an ecumenical conversation at the intersection of justice, spirituality, and culture. And we've created this space with you in mind. So join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Welcome to Upside Down Podcast. I'm Lindsay Wallace, and I am your host for today's episode. Show notes can be found on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast. And I want to give a quick shout out to our growing Patreon community who keeps us free of ads. We are proud to be 100% listener funded, and you can become a patron at patreon.com slash upside down podcast, or go to upside down podcast.com and click give in the upper left hand corner. I am joined today by Kayla Craig, Patricia Taylor, and Elisa Molina, and we are all looking forward to listening and learning from today's guest, Lisa Sharon Harper. Lisa, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be here with you all, and I'm really excited for this conversation. Yes, we are too. So I'm going to give a quick little very short snippet of what Lisa does out in the world. She is the founder and president of freedomroad.us, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap in our nation by designing forums and experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and common action. She is a prolific speaker, writer, and activist, and um, I would add a prophetic voice for our time. So we are just really, really thrilled to have you with us today. Yes. Thank you so much, Lisa. As we were kind of planning this season, we're talking about the necessities. And we were like, oh, this is coming up on uh, the 2020 election. And we're like, we've got to talk about the necessity of voting. And when we talked about who we could bring on, you were like our number one hope and dream. So we're all just oh thrilled goodness. thrilled to have you with us. And we know that this is maybe going to be just the title of this conversation may push some of our listeners. And so if that might be you, we just ask you to hold on and just listen with a posture of humility and of learning and growing. And I'm just so thrilled to, to hear what Lisa has to share with us today. So Lisa, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Kayla. Appreciate that. Yeah, so as Kayla said, our theme for this season is the necessities. And so, so far we've talked about the necessity of life, the necessity of beauty, and now we're talking about the necessity of voting. And so I wonder, Lisa, if you could share with us, what does voting mean to you on a personal level? And then also as Christians, we also want to think about what does it mean to vote with our neighbors in mind? Oh, really great question. I love, I love how you start off. You just jump right in, right? So, <laughs> we do, we do. Always. <laughs> well, here we go. So, okay. On the very first page of the Bible, the people who wrote it, whether it was Moses or it was the priests who were exiting uh, exile and also enslavement in Babylon. If it was Moses, it was hundreds of years that his people were enslaved. If it was the priests exiting Babylon, it was 70 years that they were enslaved. At the pinnacle of this epic Hebrew poem that we call chapter one of Genesis, at the high point, the priests or Moses write prophetic words, radical words, literally revolutionary words, because never before in the history of civilization had anybody 
placed the image of God inside all people. They wrote, and let us make humankind in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion. And every civilization that happened before that, the image of God had only been placed in the kings or queens, the royalty. Mm. So now on the first page of the Bible, they have placed the image of God in all people. Friends, that is a democratization of power on the first page of the Bible. Mm. A radical democratization of power. Basically what they declared, having come out of either decades or centuries of being told you are nobody, of being told literally you were created to be a slave to the gods. And then, of course, as the prizes of war, if it was the priests coming out of Babylon, you would be enslaved to us. And if it was Moses with the Hebrew people, it was the despotic Pharaoh that had enslaved the Hebrew people and had them enslaved for hundreds of years. So it's in that context that these priests or Moses say they, that they don't grab power for themselves. They don't say, and they could have, and nobody would have ever been the wiser. They could have said, and let us make Moses in our image. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it had always been done, right? Like so, and or they could have said, and let us make the priests in our image, because that is the way it had always been done, but they didn't. Hmm. Passed it out for everyone. So in a democracy, that that is where we really literally see like the first democratization of power in in civilization. Now we are in a full-blown democracy in the United States of America. We are in, and what they actually call in, in political science terms, formal academic terms, they call it a liberal democracy. Now that doesn't mean you're a liberal. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It means what, what we, the kind of democracy that we have is the kind of democracy that values the press, that protects minorities. Because if you're only governing by majority rule, then the majority can actually vote to kill the minority and they would have to rule, right? So in mm. a liberal democracy, you, you actually are trying to protect the minorities in your, in your midst. And it also runs on the power of institutions, the power of uh, our three branches of government, not on the power of one, one person's voice, right? Mm -hmm. Or even just a republic. It's actually, it believes in the power of institutions. So in our democracy, and actually in any democracy, the vote is the most basic way that one can exercise dominion that one can live fully into or can, can stand up straight into the image of God they were created in. Wow. The vote is the single most basic opportunity for all citizens to exercise agency, God-given agency, to make decisions about how the polis, the people, will live together. So what, do, what does the vote mean to me? In a democracy, it means an opportunity to be human on a Tuesday. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. So when you talk about dominion, could you tease that out a little bit in the sense of um, 
how do we vote with our neighbors in mind? Like, what does that entail for us as Christians? Well, yeah. So dominion is not domination. Right. Dominion, literally in the text, it's the word rada. And that word rada is one out of eight ways to actually say dominion in Genesis. It does not mean domination. It doesn't even actually mean to rule. What the literal meaning is, is to tread down. Now you would, under, I, could, I can understand why you get it twisted, but it's the, <laughs> the image of the untamed wilderness. That's the context within which this, this word appears. It's the untamed very beginnings of all of creation where stuff is just growing up all over the place. And so the call is actually to maintain the boundaries, to maintain the right or the just and the the, rest, the reciprocal and the truthful and the integritous relationships between all things, the ties between all things that are characterized by love, the blessing that flows between all things. That is what Radha is about in that text. And you get an even clearer picture of Radha in Genesis 2, where the word is not used, but the image, you see the image of it very clearly. When God takes the human and places the human in the middle of the garden and says, till and keep it, those two words, till and keep, when you translate them from the Hebrew, they actually mean serve and protect. What? (laughs) What? Right. So, so the people who wrote, whether it was Moses or those, or, um, and actually I believe I personally am, you know, um, spoiler alert, I believe in uh, the theory that says there's actually four different sets of authors of Genesis. And part of the reason I believe that is because Genesis 2 is a different kind of writing. It's not epic poetry, it's story. And also the order of, of creation is different there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, why would why would one writer do that? I think actually the theory that says that it's the priests um, that wrote Genesis 1 look specifically at the fact that, or what they believe is that that's actually the last text that was added to the canon called Genesis, um, Genesis 1. And when we look at Genesis 2, we see this story and we see God in the muck and we see that God has created a world where humans are exercising dominion, but it doesn't say it, but it shows it. And when it shows it, it looks like servanthood. So the implication of that for us in Genesis 1 is that in Genesis 1, they would have actually known the story of Genesis 2, and they just made it explicit. This is what you were created to do, to create, to exercise stewardship of the world, to protect the world, to serve the world, to cultivate the rest of creation. So When we ask the question of what it looks like for me to vote, to exercise dominion, what it must look like if it's going to be um, under the rule of God, if it's going to be in the likeness of God, of God's kind of dominion, it has to be the kind of dominion that serves. It has to be the kind of dominion that Mm. protects the other. It has to be the kind of dominion that cultivates the image of God and the flourishing of the image of God in all. It Amen. cannot be the kind of dominion that dominates. Mm-hmm. It cannot be the kind of dominion. Um, it literally just can't, it can't be that kind of dominion because that's the kind of dominion we see at the fall. D- domination comes in at the fall in Genesis mm-hmm. 3. It is nowhere to be found in Genesis 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. So our vote 
If our vote is cast to dominate, then our vote is not of God. And actually, I would say, if our vote is cast to dominate the image of God in the other, then you are voting as a war against God. Your vote is waging war against God. Ooh, I feel like I need a minute. <laughs> I know. Like, wow. first he took us to seminary, then he took us to church, and now we're just like, woo! Now we're stunned and shocked and wanting more. Yes. <laughs> so, Lisa, this is not, I'm diverging from our outline. I'm sorry, Lindsay. But we have <laughs> talked, <laughs> we did an episode uh, about the necessity of life, right? So, for the people that are listening who are the one issue voter about, abortion who are listening yeah. saying oh yeah that's me i i'm i'm doing what lisa's saying could you speak into that at all yes let's talk can we talk here yep. oh my goodness i love this conversation y'all because this is a conversation we don't have right and I think because we haven't actually sat down and talked about this really we've kind of ceded this ground to whatever voice is speaking mm -hmm. and Voices that have been speaking have had an agenda that they have hidden from evangelical women and men for 40 years. Mm. The pro-life quote, pro-life movement as we know it today, when it was coined pro-life, it was coined pro-life in the context of a Supreme Court um, ruling. It actually, they lost, and I'm talking about the actual founders of the religious right who raised the flag of the religious right. Um, on and planted that flag on the issue of abortion in 1983. In 1983, they had just lost a Supreme Court case. And they had been fighting for literally years, for nearly a decade, to save white space at Brown, I'm sorry, Bob Jones University. So Bob Jones University, get this, Around 1971, Bob Jones University got, got a piece of mail, and it was from the U.S. government. And the U.S. government was saying, yo, Bob Jones University, your segregation policies are going to um, nix you out of tax exemption because we now have this title XYZ that is in the code, in the tax code, that comes from the Civil Rights Act. And the Civil Rights Act rests on the power of Brown versus the Board of Education that said that all people are are um, segregation, there's no such thing as separate and equal. And so we must actually have equality in America because all people in America are worthy of equal protection of the law and equal access um, to flourishing, basically is what it said. So because Bob Jones University was basically Xing everybody but white people from their campus, they were about to lose their tax exempt status. And why, why would they do that? Because Tax exemption is basically using taxpayer funds, right, in order to pay for your stuff. Mm -hmm. When you're exempt from taxes, it means you're not paying in, which means that really the public is taking a hit on your behalf. Yeah. So if the public is going to take a hit on your behalf, you better be abiding by the law. Right. Basically, right? Like you can't, you can't, you can't let make the public take a hit and then not buy by the, buy by the law. So mm -hmm. the law changed in 1964. The law of the land became um, everybody's a citizen. Everybody has equal right to to uh, to flourishing and equal right to protection of the law. So when Bob Jones University 
1971, got this piece of mail. They said, oh, no, you know, well, we're just going to bury it. So they buried it. Um, and they didn't do anything. And then they got another piece of mail a couple of years later. And that other piece of mail said, you're going to lose this tax exemption. You better, you know, really, you better change stuff here. So you know what they did? They they um, they admitted the custodian, the one African-American custodian on their campus, they admitted as a student. And that custodian <laughs> didn't even make it through the whole year. He was like, I'm out. No way. I ain't doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like, howdy. Right. So so the custodian leaves and they're like, so then they get another piece of mail the next year. You're going to use your tax exempt status. So they said, okay, 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 okay. So we will allow single white. No, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. We will allow married white um, black people to come onto mm-hmm. our campus. But they have to vow that, you know, that everybody has to vow that nobody will date across, um, across racial lines. And then when they got another piece of mail, they said, okay, 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 okay. We'll allow single black people on campus, but they have to sign an agreement that they will not date while they are in our, at our school. And white students then had to sign an agreement that they would not date black people or be a sympathizer with the misogynization of the races. Why? Because, or not why, but what would happen if they did White students who were sympathizers, didn't even date, but were sympathizers with the misogynization of the races. This is now the mid-1970s. They would be expelled. Hmm. Wow. Okay, expelled. So it was um, Jim Baker and Pat Robertson and Chuck Colson and this guy named Paul Weirich, who was a real, he was a conservative um, a politico. They all came together in order to come to the rescue of Bob Jones University and try to save white space. And so they lost. And they lost in 1983. And that's when they realized, and guess, guess, guess what? They fought that case on the basis of religious liberty. Mm. Wow. Hello, somebody. They lost. Mm. So they said, um, so they looked around and they said, well, we lost that battle, but you know, people are starting to get disillusioned right now with with um, with abortion because the rates all of a sudden they could see how many women were were getting abortions. I don't think it was that all of a sudden it skyrocketed. It's that we didn't have numbers before and now we were keeping track. And it's like, whoa, the numbers are high. So people started to kind of push back again and go, whoa. So they said, this is what we can leverage. And that year, that same year, 1983, they raised the flag of the religious right, planted it solidly in the soil of, of uh, anti-abortion, called it pro-life, and then said our number one strategy for ending abortion in America is to overturn the Supreme Court. Now think about this. To overturn the Supreme Court, to make it a hundred, like to make it a, a majority conservative court. We have not had a majority conservative court in America since Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Plessy versus Ferguson was the court that established separate but equal, that Brown versus the Board of Ooh. Education overturned. Mm-hmm. Plessy versus Ferguson is the, is the one that said, that basically gave full, full reign for lynching and peonage and segregation. Mm. It gave full reign for people to kill black people Without, with impunity, because we were not, according to that ruling, we were not necessarily um, uh, worthy of equal protection of the law. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So Brown versus the Board of Education was the very first and really major Supreme Court ruling that protects the lives that that affirms the 14th and 15th Amendment and 13th Amendment and gives it judicial teeth. If that gets overturned, then we go back to the law of the land before that, which was Plessy versus Ferguson. And guess what will happen if we get, and we actually already have this, a majority conservative court. But if you get a supermajority, which is what they're fighting for right now, it will surely happen. Roe v. Wade will not be overturned. You will not, or you could overturn it, but you will not end abortion. Abortion, the question of abortion will go back to the states. And the states that already have minuscule levels of abortion will end it. But they only have in a given year, literally a a handful of abortions that are happening in those states. The states that have said, hell no, we won't go. The states that have said, we will not change. We are not going to outlaw this. They are the states with the highest rates. So overturning Roe v. Wade is a, it's a bad strategy if you actually care about, about those unborn lives. Wow. I want to underline that. Woo. It is a bad, it doesn't, it won't work. It doesn't outlaw abortion and it won't make a dent in the rate. Meanwhile, what we know will happen We know this because in the court's 230-year history, never before, never has there been a majority conservative ruling that protected people of color. Not one Mm -hmm. time. In the 230-year history of the Supreme Court, never has there been a majority conservative ruling that protected people of color. So I'll tell you what will happen. What's going to happen is Brown versus the Board of Education will be overturned. And we will be thrown back into the time of separate and equal, which the Republican Party has been fighting for, been fighting like hard for. Paul Ryan actually fought for this not that long ago, like six years ago on on the House floor. He talked about the right of people in private establishments to to determine who could be served in their establishment. Hmm. This is not a drill. This is happening right now. And they are using white women to overturn separate but equal or to, to bring back separate but equal. That's what's happening right in front of our eyes. And we know how to end abortion or how to lower it. We know how to do it. We can look at the numbers. It is clear wherever there are high rates of poverty, mm-hmm. you will also find high rates of abortion. Abortion follows poverty. Whenever we pour funds into lowering abortion rates, we see huge drops in the rates of abortion. When Trump came into his presidency, before he came into his presidency, we had already reached the lowest point in abortion since before Roe v. Wade. Wow. Before he became Mm -hmm. president. If you look at the rates of abortion 
during GOP and Dem Democratic presidencies. During GOP presidencies, you either see a rise or you see it basically steady, the abortion rates. During Democratic presidencies, you see drops in like five-point drops, three-point drops. You see major drops in the rates of abortion. Why? Because it is under those Democratic presidencies that policies are instituted that pull and lift women out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So they then have the ability to choose life. Yeah. I just want to thank you from the Catholic perspective of the group because um, it, it's definitely just not the evangelical church that that yeah. really has this kind of perspective and it's, you know, there's not kind of a holistic or a balanced approach. And so there aren't a whole lot of prophetic voices out there in the Catholic spaces that, that kind of speak to the, the nuts yeah. and bolts of it like you have. So just thanks from the Catholic well, you know, the U.S. <laughs> of Catholic bishops, um, they actually put out a, a study a while ago. They did a poll, and I don't know how scientific it was, but what they found was in their poll, and they actually also did interviews with women, they found that the number one reason for abortion among the women that they interviewed was poverty. The mm-hmm. women themselves said, I am making an economic choice for my family. Right. I know we can't handle this. Or... It's domestic violence, you know, uh, mm-hmm. birth a child into a world where they're going to be beat up from 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 the time that they are born. Yeah. Or it's really lack of health care because women yes. and that has to do with poverty as well. Mm-hmm. But health care means lack of prenatal care, which also means lack of. Uh, and this also, of course, is, is an impacts Catholics lack of uh, access to contraception. Mm-hmm. So. When you have fewer unplanned pregnancies, you have fewer abortions. That's literally just logic, but it's really real. We've counted that. We know that to be true. If you're able to plan for your children and prepare for them, you're much more likely to say yes, you know, and rejoice and allow that child to be birthed into joy. Mm, Yeah. You've hinted at this a little bit, um, just kind of what's at stake. But I've, I've heard you say that in previous elections, you have not necessarily been forthcoming about who you're voting for and why. But this year, you are. You're speaking out for the first time because clarity is necessary. Was those are your words? And so I just wonder, you've touched on it, but what what is at stake and what's different about this moment that we're in? What is at stake? Okay, so clarity is necessary now. And that is the reason why I came right out and endorsed Joe Biden. It took me a while, but when I did, I am now full bore. And and the reason for that is because, first of all, we are on the verge of bringing... Okay, let let me go back. Let me go back. People of African descent in the United States of America understand tyranny. We understand dictatorship. We lived for 246 years under the tyranny of masters. When we were when we won our freedom through the Civil War and the 13th Amendment, we then had about 9 years of freedom during reconstruction and then the anvil was leveled on us again and we lived under the tyranny of Jim Crow for 90 years. Jim Crow was Southern white tyranny. Mm. 
Crow was the tyranny of the Klan, and it was the tyranny of the white citizens' councils that grew up all over the South. The white citizens' councils literally owned Southern government. They were basically Klan members um, interspersed at every level of government, to the point where when the Montgomery Improvement Association, led by Dr. King, needed to um, negotiate for terms uh, with, uh, with somebody in, the, in, in Montgomery for Black people to sit wherever they want on that bus in Montgomery. They did not negotiate with the city, with the mayor. They negotiated with the White Citizens Council. Hmm. Okay. So what has happened here? Why are we in the place where we are? Is because in November of 2016, 81% of white evangelicals and the majority of all white people in America voted for the White Citizens Council for president. Mm. That's what that hit. That's what happened. And that's what he did. He brought in a White Citizens Council to be his cabinet, basically. And from that White Citizens Council, we get people in cages on the southern border. We get the outlawing of asylum seekers, literally the criminalization of seeking asylum. Mm-hmm. From that, we get the lifting of protections of people uh, for, uh, for, or not protections, for a, well, the protection of accountability, the accountability of police stations that are known to have exploited their citizens or to have oppressed their citizens. There were accountability measure, measures that were agreed upon by police departments under the Obama administration, the consent decrees. And the second thing that Trump did when he came into office was to lift those consent decrees. In other words, to lift accountability from police stations. And he Mm -hmm. did this in the shadow of FBI reports, particularly one that was um, issued in 2006, and then others that just flooded in throughout 2016, that neo-Nazi groups and white supremacist groups had been infiltrating police stations across the country for the previous two decades. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, he lifted protections and accountability. That's why we get Breonna Taylor. That's why we get Ahmaud Arbery and the lack of accountability there. That's why we get um, Michael Brown. That's why we get what we get because of the lifting of those protections. Michael Brown is going back too far. So, but we got Michael Brown because of the infiltration of those police departments. Mm. We get Breonna Taylor because the accountability measures that were put in place in, in light of Michael Brown had been lifted by Trump. Um, the white citizens council has defunded basically public schools, which you know, they're funneling money now into Christian schools, which had their beginning as race schools mm-hmm. in response to desegregation yep. of Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And their number one thing in this White Citizens Council is to is to kill Obamacare, which is going to increase poverty mm-hmm. in America, which is going to increase abortions, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's all connected. <laughs> I just love connected. your historical approach, you know, like it. Yeah. Thank it you. Is, it is all connected. It is. So 
people were so like, what is happening when, when Trump went out and, you know, in front of the white house and, you know, fired into the crowd in order to disperse the crowd. So he could walk across the street for a photo op and hold the Bible upside down for a picture in front of a church he never goes to. And people are like, what is this? This is tyranny. Well, yeah, it's tyranny. Y'all ask the white citizens council to run the country. That's what you get. You get tyranny when the white citizens council runs the country. You Mm -hmm. think the thing about it, and this is really literally no different. It's no different than what we experienced under the terror of Jim Crow. Under the terror of Jim Crow, white folk were lynched too. Back in the 1800s, white sympathizers with black empowerment were lynched because they were called race traitors. Mm-hmm. When Trump fired into that crowd of protesters, he saw that crowd, white folk be damned. They were Democrats, which means they're race traitors. So tyranny will come. Tyranny will come. That's what we're facing. We're facing an actual dictatorship because we're facing the tyranny of white nationalism. And it's something that we black folk know a lot about. We've experienced it. We bled and died to stop it. And that's why when you get the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, what you're actually getting is the establishment of actual democracy in America. Up to that point, America couldn't really claim that it was a true democracy because half of the nation was under the tyranny of white rule. But with Mm -hmm. the establishment of Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, Now we could actually say everyone has the right to vote. Everyone has the right to exercise agency here and the protected right according to the law. But what's happening now, what has been happening for the last three years and what we see is we see the whittling back, the whittling away of the Civil Rights Act. We see the, 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 the removal of protections for equal protection of the law, and we see the dismantling of the Voting Rights Act. We see right now in front of our faces, we see the whole GOP party. This is not even just Trump. The entire GOP party is literally in front of our faces. It is confirmed. They said it out loud that they are conspiring together to erase the votes of the people in order to maintain white male power. Mm -hmm. So what's at stake is our democracy. That's what's at stake. Mm. It's real. And this is not a drill. And so what does it mean for people who are followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God, under the rule of God, The God who says all humanity is made in my image. The God who says I have created every single human being to exercise dominion, to make choices that impact our world, to vote in democracies and be heard. What does it say? that the majority of the white church is okay with silencing their vote, with silencing their voice, with stealing. When one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not steal, stealing an election, 
I say it means that the majority of the white church is at war with God. Mm. And y'all better get clean before it's too late because you are going to find yourself under the judgment of God. And you know what judgment looks like? Judgment looks like getting what you ask for. Judgment looks like God allowing you to stray and then reaping the consequences of what you have grasped for, which is tyranny. You want tyranny? You'll get tyranny. Hmm. You want the law to not work for everybody? Okay, you'll get the law not working for everybody. And that will include you. Hmm. So you either love God or you don't. You either follow God or you don't. You either honor the image of God or you don't. It sounds, it all sounds scary because it is, I think. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We need a wake up call. We need to wake up. Hmm. Lisa, um, one of the things I love hearing you talk about is, um, is Jesus because you helped me to decolonize Jesus for myself and the way that I see him. And so Jesus might not have walked into a voting booth and cast a ballot, but I wonder um, how, I just wonder how you would think about the idea of Jesus, you know, quote unquote voting with the oppressed in mind, with the most marginalized in mind. And I don't mean casting a ballot, but more so, you know, the model of Jesus and his life. If as Christians, we're looking to Jesus um, as how we want to live and the choices that we would make, how can we look to Jesus when we think about voting with the most marginalized in mind, with our neighbors in mind? Well, I mean, I think, honestly, I think it has to do with who do you think Jesus was? Mm -hmm. You think that Jesus sipped lattes at Starbucks and then voted for the poor? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that Jesus, um, you know, was born at a hospital with, you know, silk sheets? Or do you think that he was born into a brown colonized people? And the very year that he was born, people in his region 2,000 men and boys were crucified in one day. They were lynched. 2,000 in the Northern Galilee region where he was born at the time that he was born. Why? Because they tried to fight back against Caesar. And a general came through and lynched 2,000 in one day. Why don't we know this? You don't know this because it's been hidden from you. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't know this because history, when, when, when history is finally learned, like really learned from the side of the ones who are the oppressed, it makes the oppressors look bad and they don't want to look bad. Why are they going to teach that? No, instead they spin, they craft stories that make them feel better about themselves for the horrors that they've done. And so, you know, yeah. So Jesus was born that year. That's the context. So, you know, if you're, if you're saying, how do we vote with Jesus? How would Jesus vote? I mean, Jesus wasn't able to vote because Jesus was colonized, right? Jesus was colonized by the Roman empire, which by the way, was an explicitly white supremacist empire. 
Aristotle, 350 years before Jesus, coined the term Western supremacy. Hmm. Scholars believe that Aristotle would have said, would have believed that what it means to be fully human, because that was his whole project was trying to figure out what does it mean to be human, right? What it means Hmm. to be human is to be white, to be male and to be able-bodied. So Jesus, brown body, he's got a big strike against him. He's not white. He's not Western. He is actually one of the colonized ones who was forced to speak the language of his oppressor, Greek, not, not his own language, not Hebrew. How about that? Hmm. You know, so when you, when you really go into who is this Jesus person, who really was he? He was the son of God come in the form, come in the form of a brown colonized indigenous man who was strung up himself by white supremacist empire because they were threatened by him. And the proxies, those who held down the fort at home, the Sanhedrin strung him up because he was a threat to their power. You see, so if you're asking the question, how do you vote in this time? How, do, how would Jesus vote? First of all, Jesus couldn't vote because like my own grandmother who couldn't vote um, her own conscience when she, or if she had stayed in the South in South Carolina, she wouldn't have been able to vote her conscience. She was oppressed in the same way Jesus was. Jesus was not allowed to vote. It wasn't a democracy. So how would Jesus, Jesus would side with the colonized. Jesus would side with the ones who are placed at the bottom of the hierarchy of human belonging. Why? Because in Matthew 25, he says, they are me. Mm -hmm. You can't say you love Jesus and not love the oppressed through your vote. Because we actually do have a vote here. Jesus says, as much as you do to the least of these, the most thirsty, the most hungry, the least deserving immigrant, the least deserving prisoner, the sickest with COVID, the one who's been stripped of everything. As much as you've done it to them, you've done it to me. And I I think I thought about this for a while and I I realized, you know, they really are doing it to them because Jesus literally was all of those things in the course of his life. All Mm -hmm. of them. He was hungry. He was thirsty. If you call being strung up on a cross sick, then he was sick. Mm -hmm. He was an immigrant. He actually was an asylum seeker in Egypt. He was, um, he was imprisoned and he was literally stripped, which is what that word naked, the word naked literally means stripped, Mm. impoverished. So you cannot say that you are following Jesus with your vote if you vote against the hungry ones, if your vote is not cast for the immigrants, if your vote is not cast for the imprisoned or for the sick, two more than 200,000 people have died so far from COVID because our current president did nothing and then told people when he knew 
that the rates had not gone down yet. He said, go back out. Mm-hmm. When he, when they finally figured out after the first month or so, when they realized that the majority of people who were dying were black and, La- and Latino, that's when he said, go out, fill the bars, fill the restaurants, go back to school. And he forced meat packers to go back to work with no protections, knowing those meat, those meat packers, they're Latino mostly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nine and one or no, 75 and one plant died. 75. He's responsible for this. Guess what? Our votes are responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Because in democracy, we are the government. We place the people in, in charge who make the decisions on our behalf. So when he called everybody to go out, he did that in our name. We are responsible for 200,000 deaths because we voted him into office. Hmm. So this right now, the next 30 days is evangelicals come to Brown Jesus moment. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Because after this, there's really not, this is not a drill. Right. We have a chance to turn around. We have a chance to save our nation from the tyranny of the white citizens council. And if we vote wrong, we really, we really do only get one chance because what happens when you have tyranny is that the instruments of democracy are stripped from you. And you might even have the theater of democracy. There might even be the theater of a vote, like, like Putin mm. just did in his country. Right. But mm-hmm. then it's rigged and everybody knows it's rigged and it, whatever it comes out, it's always going to come out. So the, the dictator stays in power. Because that's the way that that dictatorships work, which is why it's just so deep. We are watching this happen, which is why in the state of Pennsylvania right now, today, they are fighting a fight because the GOP state legislature in Pennsylvania today, yesterday, actually submitted a plan at the last minute to institute some new council in the legislature that will be responsible for going in and checking the votes of individual citizens. Hmm. People's votes are supposed to be private. They're not supposed to be able to be checked. And then having the, uh, the authority to throw their votes out. Wow. What? This is how dictatorships operate. This is how the White Citizens Council operated. This is not a drill. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. Not only are you going to kill babies in the name of saving babies, but you're going to kill our country. Mm. So wake up. Wake up. Exercise actual faith. Actual faith. It calls on God to be God, not you, to force the hand of God. That actually agrees with God that every human being has been created to exercise dominion in the world. And in a democracy, more so than any other place, we need to be fanning the flames of the image of God in all people. And what that means is giving access to the vote, honoring, honoring 
the choices that every single American makes and allowing, allowing the voice of the people to be heard and allowing the image of God in all people to be protected in according to democratic functions and, and processes, allowing that, yes, if Biden wins, no, Roe v. Wade will not be overturned. But guess what? Overturning it wouldn't end abortion anyway. And that's why more than 60% of Americans understand that now. That's why Joni Ernst last night, Joni Ernst, who has been saying to um, to her Republican base for all this time, she's for turning overturning Roe v. Wade, where she's for this. Joni Ernst yesterday said, um, we're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. There's not, that's not necessarily on the agenda. Do you realize she said that? <laughs> oh, I live in Iowa, Lisa. Yes. She said that yesterday. And do you know why she said that yesterday? Because that's not actually the goal. Mm. The goal is Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm. Mm. So what do you want? Do you want the White Citizens Council to run America? To have the, the dictatorship of Southern of Southern segregation? That's what that is literally what we will get. And we will not just get it for four years. This is what my point before is that yeah. the first thing that a dictatorship does is dismantle the instruments of democracy. Mm-hmm. So what happen is you will have that dictatorship in, in place for generations and the courts have already been set up to affirm it because yeah. Donald Trump has pushed more judges, white, avowedly white supremacist judges, people who have literally been members of the Klan are now judges in federal lifetime positions. And one after one after one for the last several years, they have said they they just refused to comment on Brown versus the Board of Education, which has never been the case. Normally, it's just a norm like, yes, we believe in this. We're going to protect it. But mm-hmm. they have refused to comment. Why? Because they're playing chess, not checkers. Mm-hmm. And the board is set. The board is set. So I didn't realize it was so calculating. That's like very calculating. Yes, it is. It is. Wow. So we got to wake up and we got to really take responsibility for our minds and for our votes, because regardless of whether or not we realized it or not, we will be held accountable by God for the impact of our votes on the least of these. Yes. Oh, Lisa, you've given us so much to sit with and meditate on and talk about. And I am just so grateful for who you are, who God made you to be, and for your voice in the world. You are someone that we look to to help us unpack not only the historical perspective, but um, but Jesus's and, and a way forward that um, we didn't talk about it much here, but you also talk a lot about shalom mm-hmm. and and what it looks like. Um, you know, we all want to move towards that. And I think you are a leader in that. And so just want to thank you for your time today and for all the work that you're doing, both that we see and that we don't see to, um, to walk thank us towards Shalom. Yeah. Can I just say this very quickly as we end, because you're yes, right, of course. Really a lot about the, what's the vision, but I think that the, the thing people have to understand 
is that the politics of domination tears us apart. Mm. The vision of the kingdom of God is one that brings us together. Yeah. The vision of the kingdom yes. of God is actually that which knits us back together into this intricate, interdependent web that is all characterized by love. So what we need is we need to seek a politics of love. We need to be thinking about how can we live together in society according to the rule of love, not the rule of domination. So take that. Vote love. That, that's enough. That in itself will take us off the brink and give us breath enough, space enough to determine together how we want to live together. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well, Lisa, I wish we could keep going, but we want to be respectful of your time. So thank you. Thank you for, for really just giving us such a deep historical background. I've been thinking about what you posted on Instagram just a couple of days ago saying, if you ever wondered what you would have done as the Nazis are rising to power, look in the mirror because what you're doing right now is what you would have done. We are here. And I've been thinking about um, that a lot. So thank you for giving us more mm-hmm. uh, to consider and think about and really look in the mirror. And um, as we end today, we just want to ask where our listeners can go if they um, they want to connect with you more in the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Kayla. Um, your listeners can follow me online. Um, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Lisa S. Harper, all one word. And at, on Facebook, I'm at Lisa Sharon Harper dot page. So that's my page. It's the picture within the red, the red dress. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then... Um, my websites. So the freedomroad.us, not the freedomroad, freedomroad.us is a consulting group. And so we consult, we train, we do pilgrimages in order to help people to uh, immerse in the stories of the other so that we can be changed. Um, And we also have an institute that helps. It doesn't just work with groups. Now, the institute is really for individual development and movement forward. So we have webinars and boot camps and growth communities and coaching cohorts that are all helping us to take this all deeper. So at freedomroad.us, you can just click on Institute and you'll see the full offering of what we have. We just started during the summer and we have a lot that we're offering um, and that's available online. And starting in the, we actually have one more piece that's gonna be offered this year. Um, actually this month, it's gonna start um, on the Latino church, Latinx church. but. Then in in January, we're going to have a whole new round of new webinars that are offered. So right now, everything's on pause for the election and just trying to get through the end of the year. Um, But but please do stop in at the Institute. We'd really love to see you and become part of our community there. Really good. Thank you. <laughs> Just more to add to our notes, right? <laughs> well, for those of you who are listening, you can find us at UpsideDownPodcast.com or Upside Down Podcast on Instagram. We do have a listener group on Facebook, Upside Down Together, where we try to have a space to process through these episodes. I think there's going to be a lot to process from this episode, which is a good thing. So join us on there as we kind of explore what we've talked about on air 
on Facebook. And we always appreciate seeing you share our podcast episodes with your friends and online communities. So thank you. Thank you again, Lisa. We're, we're so grateful. Thank you. God bless. Upside Down Podcast is created and hosted by Kayla Craig, Lindsay Wallace, Elisa Molina, and Patricia Taylor. Episodes are edited by Tess Malone and Johnny Craig. Show notes are by Lana Smith. Learn more at UpsideDownPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.